This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new jam-packed edition of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. Joining me once again is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. I even got my Mr. Positivity t-shirt on today. <laughs> that you do. Can you see that? I'm sure, all Available. The, I'm sure all the audio listeners will just can, can visualize it. Available now on teespring.com slash stores slash WTM watch this movie. Get your own Mr. Positivity t-shirt, hoodie. I don't even know what else we have it on there, but it's it's on a lot of different items that you can get. And uh, you can let everybody know that you are also Mr. Positivity. Especially now, Teespring is trying to be positive. They don't want to be negative and sell stuff with violent themes on it <laughs> did you like that tweet i sent you <laughs> I, I <laughs> should we explain that so teespring is apparently reviewing any items on its website that have antifa on them and the first thing they did in responding to one of the complaints on twitter was to say we are not a fascist company <laughs> <laughs> But they're so. taking it all away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't want to get into Antifa. It's a complicated thing, and people yeah. oversimplify it, and <laughs> it bugs me. It bugs me on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. But uh, another thing, you bring up the Teespring. I'm wondering, so if people buy Mr. Positivity t-shirts does the money go to here or does it go to the positively wolfy podcast well right now it's only available on the wtm store uh however i've i have contemplated opening a store up for the positively wolfy podcast so at, at that point it would probably matter which store they purchased it from uh i am I'm thinking about putting a new item up there. I don't know which one I would put it under, though, because we talked about it a lot on the Positively Wolfy podcast, and it will be in a future episode as well. But there are a lot of people who have bestowed the responsibility upon themselves to be mask enforcement officers. Yes. And if you follow my Twitter at Positively Wolf One, you may have seen a badge. For mask enforcement officers to display when they are enforcing mask uh, wearing in stores and wherever else they may be. And that is something that I'm seriously thinking of putting on a t-shirt. And also I believe T-String has uh, masks available now, so I may put it on a mask as well. Well, we have something similar already from our horror extravaganza last year. 
Was it the uh, head sheriff in charge? <laughs> that one I might have to... I'm not going to take it down, but I thought maybe that would be a little uh, hot topic these days <laughs> if they don't know the context. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, it's related to, it's related to horror movies. They have the dumb deputy or the head sheriff in charge, and it's rarely both. Uh, speaking of masks... That leads us to our, like, this jam-packed episode because we're going to be doing a top five list of top five masked characters and recently seen movies. And you completed the movie challenge for Dogtooth. I sure did. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our top five list of masked characters now how did you go about compiling your list so i looked at characters who wore a mask for virtually the entire time they're on screen so uh, maybe there's one or two scenes where they they take the mask off but for the most part they're they're always wearing the mask um I considered a few characters where they wear a mask for maybe one or two scenes, but for the most part, they're they're not wearing a mask throughout the movie. Um, and then I kind of just went with my favorites. Yeah, me too. I, I basically did the same thing you did. There are two characters of mine who do take off their mask, but it doesn't happen so often. One of them it kind of does, and the other not as much. But the other three are only masks, never off. Well, I guess technically one of them, he does take it off once. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, like the vast majority of the time they're in a mask. You know them with the mask way more than you do without. Mm-hmm. And with all everyone wearing masks these days... I suppose it's the reason for the season, right? It seemed topical. If these characters can wear a mask, you can wear a mask. <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> but, uh, never mind Never mind that a lot of these have mouth holes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, would you like to go first or shall I? Um. Well... You have to go first for a recently seen, so I think I'll go first for this one. Okay. So my number five character is Deadpool from the Deadpool franchise. Wade Wilson is my number four crossover. There you go. He's a funny dude, very sarcastic, breaks the fourth wall constantly. That he is. Just, uh, one, of the, one of the few recent superhero movies that i've really enjoyed both deadpool and deadpool 2 definitely um yeah he's a very it's a very recent character i mean obviously the comic books go back decades but uh for such a recent film character um i mean my number five is also kind of a recent one but there's only one of them and deadpool you know we got two movies hopefully a third 
but he leaves he's so charismatic he leaves such a lasting impression he's hilarious it's meta <laughs> he's everything you want very memorable. very much so don't they do like don't they cut together like a christmas type movie i don't think i saw it it was like a it was i think they released it in theater but it wasn't like a, a new uh release like they cut a bunch of other stuff together from i don't know if it was like the first two movies or promotional stuff or a combination of the three well, but. well they did a pg-13 version of deadpool 2 that had some different scenes in it or different footage Okay, I, that's sure probably that's what I was thinking of. the same thing or not. I remember the Christmas thing too, but yeah, I can't remember if that was the same thing as the PG-13. Uh, I think maybe because it was like a Christmas thing and more of a family type right. of deal. But so who's your number five then? My number five is Rorschach from Watchmen. Not on my list. And he, he was played by Jackie Earl Haley in the film though i don't think you see him without his mask actually no you do because he's in prison my bad so that's three people who take their masks off but he doesn't want to <laughs> <laughs> but you know him with the mask you know it, the superheroes are kind of a gray area because they have alter egos mm -hmm. you know so you're picking the superhero character not the alter ego character yeah it's funny because when he's hanging out with the other superheroes, like he keeps his mask on. Other people will be in like plain clothes, like they're just at their house, and he'll come over and, like, he comes over to one guy's house and, well, he, <laughs> he breaks in, <laughs> and so he comes home <laughs> to find Rorschach in his kitchen eating beans out of a can, but he just lifts up his mask enough to put stuff in his mouth, and then he pulls it back <laughs> down and continues to talk to him. Like I don't think. His superhero brethren know who he is or have seen his face until he's right. in jail. But, yeah, he's uh, a very moody, brooding character. Um, he's, I think, probably the best part of Watchmen, both the comic and the film. It's kind yeah, of I've seen the movie. Uh, it didn't... Uh I didn't like it that much, to be honest. It's one of those ones where, like, I should rewatch because people tell me it's good. Mm -hmm. And I think I had misplaced expectations, but I just never get around to it because it's three hours long. Also has one of the best intros ever to a film. It's incredible. It has a montage that right. introduces you to, I guess, some of the history behind Watchmen, like the older superhero, the older Watchmen, and then kind of eases you into the new era of the watchman mm -hmm. did you ever watch the did you watch the hbo series no i was just gonna ask you i haven't no it was nominated for what like a record amount of emmys something like that like i've heard it's really good I, yeah I, I haven't gotten around to watching it but i've heard it's really good yeah that's probably the reason i haven't gotten around to watching it is because i've heard way too much about it like, this is groundbreaking television. This is history-making. You have to watch this because it's important, especially at this time. And I'm just like, can I just watch Watchmen, please? When it, when it was on, 
it was just you know this is really good this is an amazing tv show but now it's like this is how everybody found out about the tulsa race riots <laughs> and it's like oh now it's a history lesson man like i was hoping it'd just be a tv show yeah or uh, how about but. it makes people find out about watchmen <laughs> like the comic <laughs> or the film I don't think they're doing a second season. I think the uh, writer oh, really? kind of shut it down, but at least not with like the same storyline. I don't know if they're going to do like a, a situation where they, they do another season, but it's like a completely different set of characters or storyline or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, I know they said that the current or, you know, the season one wasn't going to continue. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess finishing up on Rorschach, mask is pretty sweet. It's a cloth mask, and it's basically it, it's kind of left up to interpretation if the mask actually kind of moves like it does in the film. Like it changes, like the design changes on it in the film. It's like a Rorschach test. Yeah. Whereas in the comic, I think it's just one, one shot, one Rorschach test. <laughs> <laughs> one ink blot. Well, in the comic, you can't really make a change in the in one yeah. panel. Like you'd have to change like panel to panel. Yeah, and I don't remember it changing from panel to panel, but maybe it did. It's been a while since I've read it. But uh, yeah, let's so let's do your number four and number three. My number four is the Shredder mm. from Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 and 2. <laughs> we talked about, we had an episode on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles prior to the pandemic. And uh, we discussed the Shredder there. His his fucking headgear is badass. He's badass in and of himself. Mm-hmm. His entrance in the first Turtles movie was amazing, where he comes in with the long shadow and the, the big cape on. Very scary He's as got, a young child. It's fucking amazing. Um, one of the, you know, as a child, one of the, the great villains of all time of any series uh, kind of um, directed towards, I don't know how to say it, any any series where the main demographic is children, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. I think, you know, you put them up against any other movie villain of the era or even today uh the like superhero movie villains i think he holds up pretty damn good and he's especially badass because he refers to himself in the third person doesn't he <laughs> does he say the shredder <laughs> i think so <laughs> i think so i know he had the uh he had the line in the first one i am your father you know, because he, mm-hmm. he had all the, the kids come to the clubhouse and uh, try to indoctrinate them into <laughs> his Foot Clan cult. Yeah, but I think he was talking about uh, the turtles and that they're going to have to face the Shredder or something like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he said the Shredder. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> the Brett. <laughs> the Mr. Positivity. All right. Uh, what's your number three? My number three is Lord Humongous from mm. Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. 
That's a good one. Deep cut I didn't think about. Another badass villain. He's got the hockey mask. Mm-hmm. He was one of the... I, I would... I don't know for sure, but I'd venture to say he's probably one of the originators of wearing the old school goalie mask as a, you know, a badass villain. And, uh, you know, he inspired a lot of pro wrestling stuff. They had an actual wrestler wrestle as Lord Humongous. They had the, the demolition basically stole his gear to wrestle in. And, uh, you know, a great foil for Mad Max. Uh, apropos to that, uh, shout out to Moon Knight Movie Cowboys, John Grace on uh, Twitter, real John Grace. He tweeted out a video of a, a mixed tape of the, like, like a best, best of, of, like, Road Warrior promos of the, the Road Warrior, like, wrestling team. Yeah. And it was a pretty sweet video. I didn't really know anything about the Road Warriors. Yeah, they were pretty badass. <laughs> there was a, the series Dark Side of the Ring on the Vice TV network did an episode on them. They're actually from Minnesota. Oh, okay. Uh, and they, yeah, as are uh, a lot of wrestlers that started around the same time as them. But they used to go around and, like, literally beat the shit out of people <laughs> in the ring. You know, they'd come out, beat up some guys for, for about 30 seconds, get the win, and then they'd leave, and everybody loved it. But they they stole their name from uh, Mad Max. So, another connection there. Yeah, the Road Warrior came out in 81. So this was before Jason ever donned the hockey mask. So That's true. Road Warrior... Kind of started it. What's your number three? My number three is Darth Vader. That's a good one. I guess he makes appearances in the original trilogy as well as, let's see, Revenge of the Sith, which would be episode six, and then uh, Rogue One. He's in Rogue One. You mean episode three? Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Sith. Yeah, sorry, the prequels. Yeah. Um, I didn't like him in Rogue One. He was too agile. <laughs> the best part he of Rogue mo- One. <laughs> he, was move- he was moving too fast. I didn't <laughs> like it. Uh, I was just looking it up because I forget. Uh, Darth Vader did the voice, but I forget who was actually in the suit. Did you say Darth Vader did the voice? <laughs> James Earl Jones. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the suit was the uh he was the bodybuilder from a clockwork orange remember oh that's right yeah <laughs> he was the uh the writer's <laughs> personal assistant <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> yeah because he's british they filmed it in britain it's funny <laughs> what's weird is as i wasn't really paying attention what I was typing, I had to typed in Darth Vader in IMDb. Top three results: Star Wars in IMDb. Next one down, David Prose, which should be I think the guy that we're talking about, and then Dick Cheney is the third listed <laughs> result. <laughs> says self, comma beyond nine eleven colon portraits of resilience two thousand eleven. <laughs> when the 
in the cartoon show with little little bush that was on comedy central in the 2000s when george bush was still in office i forget it, it must have been cheney's dad but little dick cheney's dad was darth vader okay in the show <laughs> so so it was either cheney or rumsfeld i think it might have been cheney but I don't know if that's in connection with the search results on IMDb. But. Yeah, yeah. the actor is David Prowse. Uh, it's P-R-O-W-S-E. Prowse? Prowse? I don't know how to pronounce that, I guess. Was he German or was he English? I, was, I always thought he was German. No, he's born in Bristol, England, United Kingdom. I see. For some reason, I always remember hearing that there was a German bodybuilder in uh, the suit, but then it, I remember when we did a Clockwork Orange, that piece of trivia came up that it was him. Yeah, it does say uh, he's a bodybuilder, but not. I German. would hope so. He had to carry that. He had to carry that wheelchair up and down the stairs how many times. And people, <laughs> he just had to carry people around. In wheelchairs, people in wheelchairs. David won the British heavyweight weightlifting title and gained status as a highly regarded and respected member of the fitness community. He was lifelong friends with uh, Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno. So, yeah, I kind of like them because of the bodybuilding and weightlifting and whatnot. Uh, He kind of got a shot at acting and then he pursued it more. But, yeah. Darth Vader. Iconic villain. Doesn't really get more iconic it, than that. Yeah, I didn't put him on my list. I thought that was too obvious. Oh, yeah. I wanted to... Although maybe some of the ones I have are also a little obvious. Doesn't matter maybe if it's, number one is... Doesn't matter if it's too obvious if it's <laughs> top five. Anyways, my number two. We're on to my number two, right? Yes. The Predator. The Predator from the Predator franchise. It was close to my list. I had it on number five, and then I took it off. And he does so. take his mask off. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better when he takes, takes it off, although that mask is badass. I have, a, I have a poster right over my left shoulder here of the Predator with his mask on. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, the Predator, the first one especially, I like uh, when it was just the original Predator. Once they kind of get in the sequels and they have, you know, all the like various different kinds of Predators and yeah. it kind of waters it down. But that original Predator is one of the badass, I keep using that word, but one of the, the greatest movie creatures of all time. I will accept no argument against that. Yeah, just... Had to bump it off for Rorschach and Deadpool. So that's the thing. I, I moved five and four around quite a bit. And there's a couple other characters ahead in, it, in its place. But, yeah, Predator was one of them. One of my favorites. All right. So my number two, I guess it might be too obvious, uh, Batman. <laughs> Batman just missed my list. He's in my honorable mentions. Uh, love Batman, favorite superhero, love the films, uh, most of them anyways, <laughs> doesn't get much, much better than Batman, 
Uh, it is kind of a different character when he puts on the mask versus this faux playboy billionaire type he plays as Bruce Wayne. Right. Especially in the Nolan trilogy, he kind of really goes into it uh, as a facade, mm-hmm. whereas kind of in like the Michael Keaton, uh, Bruce Wayne, he's a billionaire, but he just kind of keeps to himself. He's kind of quiet. Right. He doesn't really act like a billionaire as much. I mean, Christian Bale is just like flaunting everything and really playing into it. Yeah, Batman's one of my top superheroes also. Uh, although I think the villains overshadow Batman himself in most of the movies, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, Batman is a great character too. Uh, you know, it's a, a great foil to the outrageousness of the other characters that he has to go up against. Uh, Bane was somebody I considered putting on my list. Love Bane. Love Tom Hardy as Bane. And that I was plays into your thought that sometimes the villains overshadow Batman. I almost put Bane, but uh, from Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that again? Who played uh, Bane in Batman Forever? Oh, I forget his name, but there was a he was in a wrestling match in WCW in 1996. It was like it was a Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man against like a team of like 13 guys, and they had like a three or four story cage, and they had to fight through like they had like each level of the cage had like two chambers, and there was like two guys in each chamber, and then there was. Like, I don't know, five guys in the ring at the bottom, and they had to start at the top and fight through everybody. And they put the guy who played Bane from Batman Forever there and Tiny Lister. And they were, <laughs> they called him, uh, the guy, Bane was the ultimate solution, and Tiny Lister was Z Gangster. Because <laughs> they couldn't use Zeus, because it, it was a WWE property. And it was Batman and Robin, not uh, Batman Forever. For Bane. Was Batman Forever had Two Face in the. Oh, Ripley. that's right. Because yeah, Uma, yeah, I was thinking Poison Ivy was in the, the one with Two Face, but she wasn't. Speaking of wrestling, didn't Bane uh, kill Jesse Ventura in Batman and Robin? Didn't Jesse Ventura play a prison guard? Yeah. And then when we I broke so. out, didn't he like throw him, like out of the building? Like, wasn't there like a big cliff and like a waterfall or something or like a river he threw him into <laughs> i think so i got the uh i got those four movies on blu-ray a, a few months ago and I've, I've watched the two keaton ones i need to watch the other two so, but so i'm a little rusty mm-hmm. i can't i honestly can't remember the last time i watched the batman forever and batman and robin and i'm starting to think maybe i haven't seen them in their entirety but <laughs> I, I'm sure I did, but it must have been fucking at least 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I was going down the uh, Jesse Ventura rabbit hole this week. So I've been listening to some Opie and Anthony on YouTube. And there was there's one like four hour video, which is just audio, but mm-hmm. of uh, the Jesse Ventura saga when they had him in multiple times as a guest. And they always argue with him, especially Jim Norton. <laughs> got uh, Jesse very pissed off until he finally walked out in like the third interview. Was that the, uh, punch Jim Norton. 
Was that the uh, about the American sniper stuff, or was no. that just general stuff? Just general st- conspiracy stuff. This is before the uh, sniper stuff. This is back around the time he uh, he had a show. Like the That's right. Show yeah. on, was it True TV or something? I forget where it was, but I don't think it lasted very long. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, because I saw you know his you know I, I remember him a little bit as a commentator uh, on wrestling. <laughs> What's going on in your place? I I don't know. It's it's just randomly, you know, for a, a few minutes or an hour or something. Like the dude upstairs will just start running around or dropping shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Sounds is like that? he's dropping bodies on his floor. For like the first like two or three months I was working at home, like two or three days a week, he'd play his fucking saxophone for like an hour a day. <laughs> Is Bill Clinton up there <laughs> playing saxophone and dropping bodies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, oh, boy. To, <laughs> back to Ventura. Um, yeah, because the Saudi's wrestling career technically ended in 96, although it ended earlier, right? But he came back maybe once or twice. Oh, was like he, the, he was mayor of Brooklyn Park in like '92. I think he was elected. Well, he stopped wrestling in the like early to mid '80s. And he, I think he did one or two matches here and there after he actually retired. But he did commentary from like '85. Yeah, probably through like '95 or '96. Like he left the WWE. I want to say in 90, and then he jumped to WCW for a few years. And then, yeah, probably about 95, 96 was when he he stopped doing commentary. But then when he was uh, governor of Minnesota, he came back to referee the main event of SummerSlam in (laughs) 1999. (laughs) And everybody got mad because he called Shane McMahon a son of a bitch, and they caught it on (laughs) on camera. And like, oh, dare the governor, governor say something like that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, if we had Twitter back then. <laughs> I think he had, I can't remember if he had cut the uh, local media off at that point or not. At some point, he, he just said, I'm not taking any questions from the local media. <laughs> and then he then he spent the rest of his time as a governor writing his book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have gotten this severely off topic. I apologize. So Batman like local was your legend num- Jesse Ventura had to be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so Batman was your number two. Yes. What is your number one? My number one, you've already mentioned him on this podcast episode. In comparison to my number three, my number one is Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th series. I thought about it. But I just I couldn't leave it on because I don't think he has enough of a personality. Although, I mean, oh, I you think can argue the a, opposite because he's, he's very it's very comedic. A lot of his scenes, especially in the later, or I guess anything after one or two. <laughs> I think he's got a three. He's got a fine personality. I think <laughs> he's uh, 
I don't know. He's probably my favorite slasher character of like the the main slasher, you know, villains from the eighties. And you know, the hockey mask is synonymous with Jason Voorhees now. Every time you see that that goalie mask, that's what you think. Yep. And you know, it he's be got Lord humongous, but <laughs> I digress. He's got longevity. To be honest, I recently watched Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X. And I don't know what the fuck that. Who was the new studio that took it over? Was it? I, I can't Might remember. Might have been New Line. I can't remember. It must have been New Line. I forget if they had it before or after. But they fucked up the design on him. Like they made his head way bigger and his mask way smaller, and it just looked fucking weird. But those first eight, well, two through eight, he looked fucking great. Well, three, uh, three especially well, once. Especially once he got the, the mask. Bag. Yeah. But once he got the mask, like, he looked fantastic. Yeah. And tons of fun. Great kills. I love when he, you know, when somebody's backed up to a window and he sticks his arms through and grabs them from behind. and Or when he just walks through a door. That's that's one of my favorite things about him, too. But Did you, did you watch the remake from 09, I believe? Yeah, I watched that a couple years ago. I didn't... Uh, I thought they made him too human in that. Yeah, they went into kind of a back, more of a backstory, and you find out that he has tunnels over, <laughs> like all throughout, you know, Camp Crystal Lake. Well, it was weird too because he took a hostage, and I'm like, why is he taking a hostage? Why wouldn't he just fucking kill her? <laughs> <laughs> like, like is he gonna rape her? I mean, what? I know they had that storyline in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, but. That didn't make any sense. That was totally incongruous with the timeline up to that point. But, yeah, the remake wasn't very good. But I think the design was better than Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X. I need to watch Freddy vs. Jason. But I I need to get through the the Nightmare on Elm Street series before I I get to that. I want to watch those first. I hear that's how Jason Goes to Hell connects. Because at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, I think he finally, that's where Freddy vs. Jason picks up. He finally goes to hell. The spoiler alert for Jason Goes to Hell, it takes <laughs> him 85 minutes to get there. Oh, uh, how bad is Jason Goes to Hell? It's that border, is god-awful. It's borderline never. Borderline I think I put, WTM never. I think I put it as a never. It's I, I have no problems with that. It has the worst soundtrack I've ever heard from any film ever. It's so bad. They like it's like the new studio got it. Like we need to make a backstory on this. He's supernatural. Let's uh, he can't be killed. So let's have let's have his heart just explode and push itself into somebody's mouth, and then that person's Jason Voorhees. What the fuck is this? It was dumb. It was like they had a story for another movie, and then they're like, "Well, we own Jason, and we don't have any ideas with him, so we'll just mash him into this other story that." kind of works but really doesn't with jason Voorhees. yeah let's only have jason be jason for about 10 minutes <laughs> the beginning and the end i was so confused i had no idea what was going on through half the movie because they're trying like to explain. fallen right <laughs> except fallen is a good movie <laughs> yeah but a bit like he passes from person to person through touch right kind of it's not that simple like he's got a I'm trying to think. There's another movie that's kind of like that, too, where 
like he's uh he's like a a parasite and then like once he's done with one host body like there's a few scenes where like this gross black shit comes out of one person's mouth and goes into the other person and then the that person is now Jason so it's not oh, as simple um, as touch to touch but I know there's other movies that are like that I just can't think of what what they are off the top of my head right now yeah a bit of a brain fart on that one but speaking of uh jason x i enjoyed jason x thoroughly and it also i think has my favorite kill in the in the franchise when i think it's towards the end when there's uh isn't it like a simulation they put him through or something where there's like a a stereotypical uh summer camp scene where like young co-eds are fooling around they're like camping they're in sleeping bags oh that's right yeah and then he uh <laughs> he body whips one of them <laughs> yeah he picks them up in the sleeping bag because like, he gets so pissed off because they're like sleeping together and smoking weed and stuff and naked <laughs> and whatnot <laughs> and he picks up their sleeping bag and like closes it and then just starts swinging the sleeping bag around and beating it on the ground <laughs> I think they redid that in uh, the 2009 remake too. I think they yeah, did that, that was more of a kill. brutal one that wasn't played for laughs. But in Jason X, doesn't he he take the one and whip the other one with it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> God, it was so funny. I rewound that quite a few times. I think I like too when he interrupted the uh, the video game session. Like they're playing the the VR video game, but like it's also a, like. Uh, in the x-men where they have the uh the training room where like it's um like augmented reality or whatever you want to call it and jason just comes out and starts killing these guys and they're like man that doesn't count (laughs) (laughs) i'm started over (laughs) uh all right let's uh let's get to my number one which is leatherface so another horror icon franchise from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Yeah. Original Texas Chainsaw is my favorite horror film. And I love the second one as well. Third one's n- not good. Uh, remake was okay. wasn't great. It wasn't god-awful. Uh, let's see. Oh, the, the I, I'm forgetting the... Uh, I guess the first remake, which was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Renee Zellweger. Who the fuck is Renee Zellweger? Because <laughs> that's just a remake of the first film. Is it? I haven't. I've seen the first three and that's I haven't seen any. Of the you other saw remakes. the third one with uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Is that that one's kind of rare you don't see it on tv or anything like that i had to buy this obscure dvd like i never even seen the cover art or anything like that because i think it's called leatherface colon texas chainsaw massacre 3 i believe i think so i forget where i saw it it might have been on like stars encore or something Mm -hmm. but like like you said i don't think it's on there very frequently like it was there for like a couple months and then you never see it again but yeah, uh, love Leatherface, the character. 
think he just has a bit more of a personality than Jason. He talks kind of. <laughs> Makes noises at least. And uh I mean what better face mask than a mask made out of other people's faces? <laughs> That's true. Um I never saw let's see, there's a the two most recent in their franchise, there was Texas Chainsaw 3D, which I think was just another remake, but they did it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Never saw that. Heard it was terrible. And then there was, uh, what was, le- there was the Leatherface origin story one. Yeah, I think I, I just saw that. I think it's just called Leatherface. I feel like I just saw that somewhere when I was looking through movies. Yeah, it's not too old. Maybe about five, six years ago. Oh, this is 2017. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen those, but I'm guessing it wouldn't be uh, too much to uh, talk about. But yeah, Leatherface, gotta love him. So creepy, especially when he puts makeup on his face <laughs> mask, on his Leatherface, on his face mask face. Doesn't he have different ones for different occasions? Uh, or does he do makeup on... He's got one that he does makeup on. I thought he had, might have had like different ones. Like he, Yeah, you know, I can't remember. He might. He's got one for cooking, one for <laughs> fancy fancy dinners. and. Well, I know at least you know, some of the time he wears a, a wig yeah. to kind of portray the mother character. And I'm not sure if you know that was another mask or he just put a wig on because you know hmm. it looks different with a wig on and then because right. he, he puts on the makeup too so i guess he can't really say but i just wonder he has, if he has one that's his tried and true old faithful i just wonder if he just like cut up a family and like one of them just happens to have makeup on and he's like this is for special occasions mm-hmm. this is for when we have company also based on a real person, Ed Gein, from our neighbors to the east, Wisconsin. Of course. Also inspired Buffalo Bill and a litany of, of other characters. That's true. Favorite uh, article of clothing from Ed Gein was his nipple belt. <laughs> <laughs> he made a belt entirely out of human nipples. Oh, so, man. So together. And that isn't the most gross thing that they found. Let's <laughs> say it's something. <laughs> yeah, he's got a nipple belt, but what do you see this? <laughs> ah. uh, <laughs> things that make you go buh. <laughs> All right, I think uh, that'll wrap it up. We can uh, give out some uh, honorable mentions here. Stanley Ipkiss from The Mask. Uh, Iron Man, Michael Myers, Wolverine. Another one of my favorite superheroes, I guess. But does he wear kind of the only Marvel one? Does Wolverine even wear a mask in any of the movies? No, not really. But that's I didn't include him because I like on the cartoons and comic books he has the mask, but I don't think he ever wears one in any of the movies. Yeah, I think you're right. Thinking about it now, I thought maybe he did slightly for. I remember there was a big deal about him not wearing the suit ever, and that they were gonna have him wear the suit for 
something or other like the the traditional one from the series and the comic books like was it the yellow and uh blue yeah because he wore a suit in a couple of them but not the typical wolverine right i wonder if in uh x-men origins if they showed him in the mask and like the uh opening montage you know where like he's fighting in the civil war with his brother (laughs) maybe i don't remember that movie was better than people act let's be honest come on i don't think i saw it uh v for v from vendetta I also have the Dread Pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride. Okay. I don't Carrie Elwes' Elwes's character. I think Michael Myers is the only one that I have off your list. Uh, I mean, I had, you know, Predator and Jason. Uh, Hannibal Lecter. Though he's not in the mass very off or very long. Right. And uh, Lone Ranger. I don't know much about Lone Ranger. I haven't seen much of his uh, filmography <laughs> but he's pretty iconic so yeah army hammer the same as like zorro army you know, hammer right zorro mask <laughs> yeah army hammer <laughs> i have uh who was the native american in that film i forget <laughs> johnny depp yeah how, how much uh native american did he say he was probably more than elizabeth warren if <laughs> <laughs> you would have to be wouldn't it <laughs> It's a it's a bit of a teaser for this week's uh, Positively Wolfy podcast, episode five. <laughs> there you go. Johnny Depp will be discussed. Who's the guest on uh, episode uh, guest host on episode five? We went outside of my personal circle of friends and family, and I will be joined by Dags from the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. Ah, nice. Local podcast. So that is coming. Episode 5, Positively Wolfly Podcast. Episodes 1 through 4 are now available. Keeping it in Minnesota. Yeah. 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 You can also follow Mr. Positivity at Positively Wolf 1 for updates on his show as well as this show. That's right. You want to hear some of my honorable mentions? Sure. I have The Wraith from The Wraith. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have uh, Immortan Joe from Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't want to put him and Lord Humongous, so I went with Humongous just edged him out. Yeah. Um, Batman, you mentioned. Michael Myers, you mentioned. Uh, Jason slash Pluto from Us. Hashtag what about us? <laughs> Didn't quite make the list. And Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. Just Raphael. He's the best one. All right. I think that'll do it. That leads us to our recently seen segment. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? What have you seen recently, Brett? I guess I have to go first, right? You have to go first. All right. I saw a film. I guess my three movies this week are all kind of from different ends of the spectrum, shall we say. Everything's on a spectrum. An old, an older 
renowned art film. I guess uh, more slightly more recent cult film, and then a well-regarded film that nobody's seen, basically. Hmm. So let's go with the old art film first. From 1976, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Speaking of the Wraith, <laughs> Nick Cassavetes, his dad, John Cassavetes, directed this. Stars uh, Ben Gazzara, a.k.a. Jackie Treehorn. Timothy Carey, Seymour Cassell, Robert Phillips, Morgan Woodward, Haji, just one name, Haji. Isn't that Johnny Quest's Indian friend? <laughs> no idea. Didn't really Johnny, watch Johnny Quest. I think Johnny Quest is on HBO Max, but I don't know how much they edited out or how many episodes they removed, because mm. I think Haji was in pretty much every one. I see. All right. Uh, the synopsis. A proud strip club owner is forced to come to terms with himself as a man when his gambling addiction gets him in hot water with the mob who offer him only one alternative. So Ben Gazzara runs. It's kind of a strip club kind of. It's more of a burlesque show. It's done more for at least he likes to think more for art. Um, it's very, very tasteful. People are, are there for the tits, but he wants them to be there for more than that, even though he kind of treats them the same way. <laughs> so, yeah, he likes to gamble. And he pays off a debt that he has. And immediately the same night, he's like, let's celebrate. He takes a couple of his best gals out on a night on the town. They get in the limo. They go to basically a a party hosted by a mobster and he gets into a poker game and loses about 23,000 or so. And, uh, he can't pay it all back at once. You know, he's going to wants to pay it off in installments, but, uh, they don't want it. They don't want it paid off in installments. They want him to do something else instead. They want him to kill a, a Chinese bookie who's been taking some of their customers and their business. Uh, I guess I'll leave it at that because not everything is as it is as it seems. But uh, yeah, I've heard about this movie for quite a while. I'd seen one or two other Cassavetes films uh, back in film school, and I've heard good things about this. It is kind of a noirish type film, kind of more depressing, gray type of film, like a noir type film. And performances are really good. Ben Gazzara is terrific in here. Now, it's been a while since I saw the other Cassavetes films, but I know he does very indie, art house type fare. And this was no exception. It's one of those I think I'll have to, I'd have to watch again to get the most out of it. But overall, I thought it was very good. Maybe not one I'd jump at the chance to watch it again, but I will someday, and I think I'll get maybe get a little more out of it, but... It was worth it alone for Ben Gazzara's performance. You know, he don't really see a lot of stuff, even though he has, let's see, he has how many credits? As far as acting credits, he's 133. Now he passed away, let's see, 2012. But it's like, you know, I knew him from Roadhouse, you know, the bad guy in Roadhouse, <laughs> Jackie Treehorn and Big Lebowski and, uh, 
another film that you haven't seen yet called uh, Happiness. I have not seen that. Uh, he's very good in there, but that was pretty much everything I saw, man. And he used to be a lot more of a big name back in the day. He was on TV shows and movies, and he's kind of a big star that uh, kind of slipped into obscurity. I mentioned, you know, Jackie Treehorn earlier. It's kind of a half joke because, you know, everyone. I mean, I always refer to him as Jackie Treehorn just because mm-hmm. he's. It's just when you see him, he's become synonymous with that Big Lebowski character. Kind of, you know, Jeff Bridges, you know, is a lot of people think of him as Lebowski, even though he's done <laughs> a myriad, myriad of other things and gotten recognition for those other films. But it seems like Ben Gazzara can't really <laughs> can't really shake it, you know. Well, That's he's not doing it most, you know. He's not doing anything new then. Yeah. But it's like. You know, he's a great actor, and I'm glad I got to see a film like this from his heyday. And so I can, you know, get more out of Ben Gazzara, I guess. Because, you know, when people just think of him as the guy from Big Lebowski, it's kind of, uh, you know, people are missing out on a lot, I think. It's happened with other actors in other movies, too, but God, Ben Gazzara's got to be the biggest one that comes to mind, I think. He's associated with one movie. And nobody really knows other things that he's done. There, there's definitely others. I can't think of any on the top of my head, but I know there's a lot of actors who get shoehorned into. They have a, an iconic role, and that's what everybody kind of remembers from them. Especially if it's an actor who had like a lot of success earlier in their career, and then they they kind of uh, went away from the limelight for a few years, and then they came back later. Mm-hmm. Which which sounds like this guy did, and then they they have that one iconic role, and everybody's like, "Oh, I've never seen him in anything else, so this is the only thing I know him from." Which, you know, it's sad sometimes. You know that that's all you get uh, remembered for when you have such a, a large body of work. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I will give the killing of a Chinese bookie, and eventually. Watch this movie eventually. Eventually. Stamp of approval. What have you seen recently, Brett? Well, I watched a movie that, if you listen to episode two of the Positively Wolfie podcast, you know that this movie inspired eBay executives to seek revenge on some people who gave them bad reviews. Mm. 1988's Johnny Be Good, <laughs> starring Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., Paul Gleason, Uma Thurman, Steve James, Seymour Cassell. Didn't you just name Seymour Cassell? I did. He's also in this movie. Hmm. Jennifer Tilly's in there. Who does Seymour Cassell play? Is he like a principal or something? Wallace Gibson. I don't remember what Wallace Gibson was. He might have been a, a recruiter or something. Howard Cassell is in there as himself. Jim McMahon makes a cameo. Former Vikings quarterback Jim McMahon. <laughs> Not too shabby uh, of a cast. Synopsis is, Johnny's the top high school football player and many colleges want him. His girlfriend, coach, and best friend want him 
in the college serving themselves most. That was a weirdly written sentence. <laughs> this movie reminded me a lot of the movie Blue Chips, where it's in Blue Chips, it's a serious look at uh, corruption in the recruiting process of high, of college basketball. Whereas Johnny B. Good is a comedic look at the corruption and the recruiting process of college football. So Johnny is the star quarterback on the state championship team, even though the state I don't I, I don't even know if they said what state he was from, to be honest, but the state championship game was like on their high school home field in front of like just their friends and family as opposed to most high school state championships which are like at the big stadium in the in the biggest city in the state and everybody comes to watch it especially if you're the number one recruit in the country and so most of the movie is Johnny uh fielding offers from some of the biggest schools in the country so there's one from Texas and there's one from California and they bring them in and they take them to parties and offer them cars and clothes and all this stuff that he's going to get to come play quarterback for them. Meanwhile, his high school coach is negotiating with this other school to get Johnny to come in exchange for hiring the high school coach as the head coach at the college. Mm-hmm. And all along Johnny's kind of alienating his friends and his, his girlfriend, like it said. And, um, honestly, I thought it was really funny. It was a lot better than I expected. It's, it's got a little bit of that commentary on, like I said, the corruption within college football, but it doesn't necessarily hit it as hard as something like blue chips did with uh, a similar subject matter. And, uh, the revenge scene that I mentioned where that inspired eBay uh, executives to mail unwanted, disgusting things to a couple who had written a poor review on their blog about eBay. Uh, the scene that that's referencing is only a very small part of the movie, and it's a minor... I would say it's not a very uh, clear connection to that story. So I was just interested in seeing what that connection was. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I I had a great time with it. It was funny. It's not something uh, that you have to think too much about. It's not, like, super serious. I thought Anthony Michael Hall was, was good um, as the star athlete which is a probably one of the first times he didn't play the nerd, you know, because that was kind of his, his typecast up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would recommend it. Johnny Be Good, eventually. WTM, eventually. Eventually. Yeah, I actually saw this film about, I'd say about maybe three, four years ago. Although I don't remember anything about it, because Jones, former co-host, uh, Alex Jones, <laughs> it's funny uh, like i wonder if like people 
just started listening to the show and they're like who's this alex jones they're like what they had alex jones on the show what are they talking about former <laughs> host alex jones not the crazy alex jones uh he, he ate his neighbor's ass though <laughs> well yeah the, the famous alex jones <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, i don't know is he famous for it I was making a joke. That well, he threatened to eat his neighbor's ass, right? <laughs> I was going to say that our Alex Jones actually did. <laughs> I joke, I joke, I joke. Why you not know joke when you hear joke? Uh, that he did not. Um, no, he bought this for me for our annual Christmas shitty movie exchange where we get each other supposedly terrible movies and we drink and watch them you know have a good time and uh i was a bit tuned up watching this so i don't don't really remember much i just remember robert Downey jr being in there he was kind of a dick wasn't he kind of he's the he was the best friend who was the backup quarterback and he wasn't a very good football player and he was worried about johnny going to a school that he couldn't get into Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he deep throws a water pistol, though. <laughs> like, he, he gets it way down there. Like, it's, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, th- this was the time of Robert Downey Jr. during his uh, his heyday, his less than zero days. That was a documentary, <laughs> right? Not a not a fictional film. I think this was the year after, so I don't know. He he must have cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> In less than zero, did, was he? Did he play like a high school kid that was addicted to drugs? I think uh, it starts out. I think it starts out with their graduating from high school, and then it like picks up in the first semester, like Christmas break of what would be their first year of college. Okay. And like the main character went to college, and then like his his girlfriend and his best friend didn't, so they're kind of back in town still and comes to visit them for christmas i see well that makes more sense so it's like oh back to playing a high school kid (laughs) a year later but the joke was on jones because johnny be good is a pretty solid flick yeah i think i i remember us not thinking it was terrible it's worth it. Or thinking, you know, thinking it wasn't terrible. So the next film I'm going to talk about is from 1990, Metropolitan, directed by Whit Stillman, starring Carolyn Farina, Edward Clements, Chris Egeman, Taylor Nichols, Allison Parisi, Dylan Hundley, Isabel Gillies, and Will Kemp. Synopsis. A group of young upper-class Manhattanites are blithely passing through the gala debutante season. (laughs) That's a tongue twister of a sentence. A group of young upper-class Manhattanites are blithely passing through the gala (laughs) gala debutante season when an unusual outsider joins them and stirs them up. Oh. So, So... I had heard about this film because I watched The Last Days of Disco. Last Days of Disco is the third film in an unofficial trilogy 
from Whit Stillman. He wrote and directed these films. And basically, uh, they're all just kind of related because they have a lot of the same actors in all three. And they also have similar themes. They're all like young, upper class, white people with love problems, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in the world, growing through love and each other and all that stuff. But his films are very uh, dialogue based. Heavy, heavy dialogue. Pretty much all there is. A little similar to, I guess you could say, David Mamet. Oh, God. And his type of script writing where I say something, you say something, and it's back and forth, rapid fire. Right. Much. And The Last Days of Disco, I absolutely loved. You know, I think I gave it an ASAP. Just became obsessed with that movie. You know, I watched it once and I was like, eh, it was pretty good. I watched it again, uh, a tall glass of water, and then I was just kind of blown away. Now, this film, Metropolitan, is similar in that yeah, dialogue based with these upper class white kids in Manhattan. They're going to all these deb parties. And I was like, what the fuck is a deb party? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to look it up and, you know, find out that. Deb short for debutante, and so it's kind of uh, based off the the French kind of coming of age. I guess they had a party for these young women when they're kind of announcing that they're, you know, kind of coming out in the world, uh, kind of given free reign to go and find love and it's like that start di- their lives, kind of. It's like that Diana Ross song. I'm coming out. <laughs> Yeah, not the same. <laughs> so yeah, they're 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 going to all these deb parties, and <laughs> so after I figure out what the fuck a deb party was, I could follow it a little closer. But I don't even know who like the debs are because they they talk about it's a season. It's the deb party season, and so like every weekend there's a new deb party mm-hmm. for some young woman who's coming out in the world, I guess. And I was kind of thinking, like, do they still do this, like, in Manhattan? I know it's 1990, but it seems like they, I don't know, maybe this is, like, I think you gotta be upper-class white people shit. Yeah, I think you got to be ultra-rich. <laughs> but, you know, these kids, these 18-year-olds, you know, they're about to head off to college, basically, and or they're maybe... Uh, can't remember if they are in college. Either way, they're ending high school or just starting off college, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And anyways, they're, uh, it's hard to even describe this movie because there isn't all that much plot. Like basically, these upper, these yuppie Manhattanites mm-hmm. have their world, quote unquote, turned upside down when they befriend this young, uh, well, they're all young, but this, this kid that they know, I guess, from school, but he's not a rich kid. He's middle class, I guess, which is poor to them, of course. And uh, he's a he's a redhead, so there's that. Oh. And he's also uh, seems to be a bit of a socialist, and kind of despises deb parties and their whole way of living. Yet he, through chance, gets invited to one of these and goes after they egg him on for a while, and he ends up like becoming friends with a lot of these people and falling in love and 
don't know. It was just, you know, not a whole lot happened. <laughs> right. It was kind of like a, it was like as much plot as a, like a sitcom episode. <laughs> but the movie is, it's how much? Hundred or hour thirty eight minutes, still pretty short, but heavy heavy dialogue, it's quick witty dialogue. Although, I thought Last Days of Disco was funnier, and I think I liked Last Days of Disco a lot more because of the style. Obviously, I love the soundtrack to that film, um, but the way they used the soundtrack and it seemed like everything was kind of choreographed. The way people are entering and exiting uh the shot mm-hmm. it all kind of seemed like a music video almost like they were i mean a lot of it is them dancing in a club but even when they're not dancing it kind of seems like they are almost uh, so i mean this film metropolitan overall i mean i can appreciate the craft it's a well-written script it's tight as they say Good dialogue, back and forth. Performances are okay. You know, there are a lot of young actors, and nobody really made it huge out of this group, but some of them are in Last Days of Disco, and I liked them in there as well. But I don't know. Like, I'm not chomping at the bit to watch this movie again. I found it to be very forgettable, I guess. So, like, it was good, I thought. Like, I could admire the craft, but I'll have to give it a last resort. It's a last resort. All right. It was also, I believe, uh, Whit Stillman was nominated for this film for Best Original Screenplay. Interesting. Because you can get this movie, uh, the second in the unofficial trilogy is called Barcelona, and then third, Last Days of Disco. You, all of them are on Criterion. You can get them as a, as a set if you want or individually. But, yeah, Criterion loves this uh film and filmmaker so i think some people could get out of it like more than i did but especially i guess like aspiring screenwriters i think they could get a lot out of it but i don't know i guess i'm not chomping at the bit to watch it again all right what's the uh so wait you completed the movie challenge for dogtooth yeah how many movies that's wait uh, I'm sorry. Yep, that was only your I second. I forgot that I was going first. Yeah, this is my second. From 2011, Super Eight. Ah. Written and directed by J.J. Abrams. Everybody loves him. Stars Elle Fanning. I don't think these are in order. I'm gonna start over here. Stars Elle Fanning, A.J. Chalka, Mikawa, something, Kyle Chandler, Joel Courtney, Jessica Tuck, Joel McKinnon Miller, Ryan Lee, Zach Mills, Riley Griffiths, Gabriel Basso, and Ron Eldard. Let's see if there's anybody else. I guess we could throw Glenn Turman and Noah Emmerich in there also. Synopsis. During the summer of 1979, a group of friends witness a train crash and investigate subsequent unexplained events in their small town. 
this movie was nostalgia porn at its highest level. It's uh, a group. It's the film version of Stranger Things. Pretty before Stranger Things. Pretty much. It's like uh, if J.J. Abrams tried to write a Steven Spielberg movie from the 80s in 2011, which is basically what it is. You know, it's Spielberg was a producer, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was Amblin Entertainment, and he was credited individually as a producer also. So it's like, a, like an old Spielberg movie with a lot of lens flare. And uh, I don't know, I I thought it dragged a little bit. It's it's just around two hours long, but they don't really get into, like, there's, there's a supernatural element that they pushed quite a bit in the marketing, and it takes them well over an hour to get kind of into that stuff. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a, just, like I said, it's nostalgia porn. So if you miss the days of the early eighties, like ET style movies and monster squad and stuff like that, and want to see something that reminds you of that type of movie, um, I think that's what they were trying to get. I don't know if they're trying to also target younger kids like teenagers who would be seeing this movie for the first time because i feel like it it appeals much more to the older generation who misses out on that type of movie and i don't think it would necessarily as much um uh, appeal to the younger audience um it's very much in the ilk of, like you said, Stranger Things, Ready Player One, um, it to a certain extent, but it's it's a lot cornier than it. Um, and I don't know, I don't I don't fall into either group. I'm too old. If it's if it's trying to appeal me uh, appeal to me as a young person, I'm too old for that. If it's trying to appeal to me as somebody who grew up with these movies, I'm too young for that. And so I I was a little bit bored with it. There are some things where it's like it, it's super cheesy in places. Um, the kind of the climactic scenes are like dark and confusing and it's hard. You lose track of where people are because they, they cut from one location to the other and all these weird angles and they cut back and forth really quick and it's like I said it's dark you can't see and that took me out of it even more and by the end I was just groaning at how fucking cheesy this movie was um so I think Super 8 it's not for me I, like I said, I think it appeals, like, if you grew up with movies like this, that's probably your best bet as far as who's going to like it. Um, but I don't really see an appeal to a lot of the other demographics. So I will give Super 8 a WTM last resort. That's a last resort. All right. Yeah, I remember watching it you know, about 10 years ago, probably. But I don't remember really remember much. I remember it being exactly kind of what you describe as being, you know, nostalgia porn. 
And I think it uh, appealed to me in the way that I grew up with those types of films, but I think I still found it to be pretty forgettable, which I did right. forget about it. So, yeah, that seems to be a, a rating I would agree with. And I think the like the critic score is pretty good. Audience score is okay, but I don't. It's because it's meta, dude. I don't remember filmmaking. <laughs> That's Little true. Little kids have a super eight That's camera. Ooh, we gotta make my movie. <laughs> <laughs> the chubby kid is not. I, he's annoying. I was annoyed by the chubby kid. Like I, I'm over fucking having to try to. Uh, um, relate to nerdy characters on TV and movies. Like, I get that nerd culture is what's hot right now, but fuck, man, does every character have to be a nerd? Like, oh. I was annoyed with every character who held the Super 8 camera because they couldn't get rid of the lens flare. It's like, <laughs> stop staring right into that light. Kids are going to grow up making movies. You should learn to cut out the lens flare. <laughs> oh, it's bad. And then I don't know. And then there's a there's a subplot where like the main character's mom died at so she worked at a factory and she died and then it was like because this other guy didn't show up for his shift or something. But then like the the dude's daughter is asked to be in the film and then oh my god now they're falling in love but the the two dads hate each other and it was i don't know i just didn't like it all right last film i'm going to talk about is a real winner it's from 1995 I saw the masterpiece that is Showgirls. Oh, I almost that almost made my list. I watched that recently too. <laughs> Good, we can talk about it because <laughs> I need to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> Directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Elizabeth Berkley, Kyle MacLachlan, Gina Gershon, Gershon, if you will, Glenn Plummer, Robert Davi, Alan. Rackins, Ratchins, Gina Rivera, Lynn Tucci, Greg Travis, and Patrick Bristow. Synopsis. Nomi, a young drifter, arrives in Las Vegas to become a dancer and soon sets about clawing and pushing her way to become the top of the Vegas showgirls. Never seen this movie before, but I've also... Of course, I've heard a lot about it. I actually referenced it in uh, one of my writing pieces for film school when I talked about the MPAA and NC-17. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of there's a lot fun of t- facts there's a lot about of, this movie. There's a lot of tits in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, there's full frontal, but like per- Verhoeven was coming off a of basic instinct. And... You see more than full frontal on that. You see inside Sharon Stone. (laughs) (laughs) And that was rated R. So, I mean, obviously the nudity is gratuitous and it's constant and nonstop. Right. 
And there, but there's only well, there, I guess there's technically two sex scenes. Do you think it was that pool sex scene? It, yeah, but they don't. I think she was having a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Miss March all over again. <laughs> um, but Elizabeth Berkeley plays young Nomi. And she's not a good actress. <laughs> she's just she's just not. It seemed like she did the same acting job as she did on Saved by the Bell. You know, like in a lot of those like young adult sitcoms from the eighties and nineties, like you watch them now and you're like, God, the acting's just terrible. Or maybe that's true of like children's shows. Like in general, right? They overact. Like bad act, yeah. Overact. Um, it's like Nickelodeon. You know, everything in Nickelodeon is just like, oh, could you tone it down? Just, a, you know, provide some nuance. It's it's very labored. <laughs> like it, it's the opposite of effortless. Yeah. Now I I've I watched Saved by the Bell a little bit, but it wasn't one of the shows that I watched regularly. So I didn't. I did. Like I didn't have like a huge like uh background of you know this is the character that i know her as so like it was easy for it was was probably easier for me to differentiate her from saved by the bell versus and showgirls but like i always knew her as jesse spano from saved by the bell and then i had also seen her in any given sunday which i have played a a hooker in there i have not (laughs) Why does she keep playing hookers? With Al Pacino. Why does she <laughs> yeah. keep playing hookers? Uh, but yeah, Showgirls was something else. I, I always like Kyle MacLachlan. At least I loved him in his David Lynch stuff, Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet. Now it sounds like you're you're don't have a very positive opinion of Showgirls. <laughs> is what I'm well, getting. That's the thing. It's like I heard, you know, it's the type of movie where it's so bad it's good. You got to see it. Other people, I mean, Verhoeven does a lot of a lot of his films are social satire. Right. A very good social satire. You know, you got RoboCop, you got Starship Troopers. And then like I've heard there can be some satire acquired from this film, but I guess it's all inadvertent and um, you know, unintended because I mean, that's the way it seemed to me. And I'm like, I had to look it up after the movie, like check online to see if I was missing something. You know, like, did I just not get something or is it just a bad movie? <laughs> and yeah, it's just a bad movie. But I mean, there's certain benefits to watching it. There's <laughs> there's certainly scenes that are entertaining. That's where, like I keep hearing it's a bad movie. I've heard I've heard it's like one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah. And like I thought it was extremely entertaining like i didn't like maybe it's because i watch a lot of bad movies like the acting (laughs) didn't seem that abhorrent abhorrent uh it just seemed like you know it's it's not a like a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination it's not going (laughs) to win awards but no, it won plenty of awards. It set a record for raspberry nominations and wins, I believe. But it won I seven. But I've seen a lot of movies that are way worse than that. 
a lot of yeah. you know bad bad movies and it's to say it's one of the worst movies of all time i think is an overreaction yeah and the and maybe maybe you were i don't know you kind of mentioned you were kind of looking for the social commentary and i was just going in like i haven't heard like too many specifics about the movie going into it so i didn't really know what was going to happen or anything like that i just know that the the chick from say by the bell shows her tits or whatever that's <laughs> like, that's like the extent of the synopsis that i got going into showgirls so maybe going in with that kind of blank slate helped me enjoy it more um it's definitely got an entertainment value that i think people are are kind of overlooking when they when they say it's you know it's just a terrible movie the acting sucks and it's like well there's a lot of movies where the acting sucks but i don't think it necessarily ruins this movie that the acting isn't like top notch like i think it actually adds to the uh the value of the movie itself and and it i think it like i said it it plays in better to what the movie actually is versus like if you had like real serious like legitimate actors who are putting in like great performances i don't think it would have been as good as as i i thought it was but i i enjoyed it i th- i thought it was definitely worth watching i mean you could see i enjoyed it i wouldn't consider it required viewing like i my official rating would be last resort that's a last resort oh i th- i think people should check it out I I I would recommend it as like especially for people who who have avoided it because you know it's got such negative reviews and things like that. Like if you don't know what it's about and you know you're not averse to like the nudity and the the subject matter matter of you know that kind of content. Like I think it'll be better than what you what you're expecting and. You, like like I said, I I really liked it, and I think a lot of people will will agree if they give it a shot. Yeah, I did find it entertaining. Uh, I will say, a fair bit of warning. I thought this film contained the most out of nowhere, nonsensical gang rape scene I've ever seen. It's just <laughs> totally out of the blue. Like and it starts happening, I go, "What the what the fuck is this now? What's going on?" Like it's just made no sense. Why? Well, I, th- I think it made sense given all the stuff that's come out in the Me Too movement. I thought that was a pretty realistic scene, given you know what has transpired in the last few years as far as stories coming out, which just goes to re. Uh, it uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? But it it gives credence to the open secret uh mentality of hollywood during especially the 90s well i guess it made more sense to you but to me it was because i mean we could talk about it quick because it needs to be talked about this <laughs> it was so outrageous i thought so nomi's friend forget her name but it's the friend who kind of takes her under her wing gives her a place to stay once she's in vegas right it's her best friend 
And the whole movie, she's been talking about this. Uh, I think his name was Andrew Carver. He's a world famous singer. And I think like uh, he was supposed to be like a. Who would you compare him to, like uh, as a singer? I don't know if he, he wasn't like an opera singer, but kind of almost it seemed like. Yeah, I don't like, uh, like they, a Yanni or something. Did they have him singing? I don't even know if they played his music. No. I thought he was more like a, I don't think they did. He's more like a soul or R and B type pop singer, but yeah, he looks like Fabio kind of. I mean, he's got the he's got the Fabio hair, like maybe Michael Bolton, but popular. Yeah, like he was a like a sex symbol type, and the whole movie she's making jokes about masturbating to him, and he's staying at the he's doing a show at the hotel that Elizabeth Berkeley's working at. And she's at a party afterwards that he's going to be at. So she brings her friend along. She's been dying to meet him. And there's literally hundreds of people at this party. And then she introduces her to Andrew Carver. And (laughs) well, you find out that Andrew, the the singer has a crush on Elizabeth Berkeley's character because he saw her in the show. Yeah. Am I remembering that correct? But she, Elizabeth Berkeley's character, isn't into him. The best friend is, and yeah. and like she kind of invites the best friend up to the singer's uh, bedroom or hotel room or whatever it was. Yeah, it's it was kind of weird. I don't know if it was at like a big, like it almost looked like it was like at penthouse a, or something. It looked, I don't penthouse know suite. Like maybe the whole couple top floors of a hotel, maybe. Yeah, I can't remember if it was at the hotel or if it was like at the mansion of the guy who kind of ran the show that Elizabeth yeah, Berkeley was working at. Too. But like but there was a bedroom upstairs get a drink. that they went to. Yeah. yeah, they get a drink, they're talking. And then like, you know, he doesn't, he wouldn't have to rape this woman at all. She wants to sleep with him like more than anything in the world. Right. And he takes her upstairs into a bedroom and you think they're just going to have sex. And then he like, he shuts the door and he, or he opens the door for his uh, bodyguards come in and then closes the door. And she's like, what's going on? And they just immediately start hitting her in the face and then throws her on the bed and like gets his bodyguards to rape her as he looks on in excitement and kind of joins in. Yeah. They kind of just like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> Nobody's like getting their bodyguards in on a, on like a gang rape. I could see if it was like a couple of buddies of his. Well, but like I, it just made no sense. Like he did, she wanted to sleep with him, well, so if he wanted to sleep with her, that wasn't an issue. It was like I'm gonna get my bodyguards laid and they're gonna rape her because that's that's what I like. <laughs> it's like whoa, 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 what? Well, that's probably what happened. He's probably with these bodyguards twenty four seven or whatever, and. Any uh, any groupies that he doesn't want, he's just like, you guys can have her. I'll I'll just set it up, and you know I I assume that's pretty standard practice for them. And most of the girls, you know, they they're embarrassed or they don't want to, you know, deal with it, and so they don't talk about it. So, but uh, yeah, it was it was a disturbing scene, but. Like, like I said, given that everything that's come out recently about Hollywood and uh, that culture, like, it didn't seem that out of the ordinary to me. 
And then they would let her bleeding from everywhere just walk out back into the party. Now that part was a little... <laughs> Uh, that, no, that, that that was the part that was the part they made it over the top for you. Well, I don't think so, like she just like comes out of the bedroom or like back into the main party where there's hundreds of people and falls under the in the middle of the floor, bleeding from her face and all of her legs. I assume that that was uncommon for the the victim to to leave the room that quickly, and they were just so dumbfounded they didn't even know what to do. It's like he wouldn't have the bodyguards take her somewhere and dump her out. Even if it's not even like a hospital, what if they just drove to an alley and dropped her off or like anywhere? But well, she kind of okay. We're done. Them. You can leave. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't remember specifics. It's been a couple weeks since I've seen it, so I don't remember exactly uh, the, what transpired after the fact. But I assume yeah, she was scene caught me off guard. She was probably the first one that you know did something like that. It's funny. I was reading about this film and God, where is it? Who was talking? Um, Esther house who I think he co-wrote it or let's see. No, he wrote a Joe Esther house and directed by Verhoeven and talking about it in 97. He wrote, clearly we made mistakes. Clearly is one of our biggest failures of our time. Uh, it failed commercially, critically, and it failed a videotape. It failed internationally. In retrospect, part of it was that Paul and I were coming off of Basic, Basic Instinct, which defied the critics and was a huge success. Maybe there was a certain hubris involved. Quote, we can do what we want to do, go as far out there as we want. Quote, that rape scene was a god-awful mistake. <laughs> In retrospect, a terrible mistake. And musically, it was eminently forgettable. And in casting, mistakes were made. So, like, he talks about a couple general things and then goes, yeah, that rape scene was also, a, that was a god-awful mistake. <laughs> so it was funny, like, coming away from the movie, like, what was with that rape scene? And then, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, that was probably a mistake on our part. <laughs> uh, McLaughlin talked about seeing the film at the premiere. Uh, he says, uh, I was absolutely gobsmacked. I said, this is horrible, horrible. And it's a very slow, sinking feeling when you're watching the movie. And the first scene comes out, and you're like, oh, that's a really bad scene. But you say, well, that's okay. The next one will be better. <laughs> <laughs> and you somehow try to convince yourself that it's going to be better, and it just gets worse. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. I mean, I really didn't see that coming. So at that, so at that point, I distanced myself from the movie. Now, of course, it has a whole other life as the sort of inadvertent satire. And he goes, no, satire isn't the right word, but it's inadvertently funny. So it's found its place, provides entertainment, uh, though not in the way I think it was originally intended. It was just maybe the wrong material with the wrong director and the wrong cast. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, I think this would be good as a midnight movie. Yeah. But I don't, like a bit longer. It's two hours and ten minutes or so. Like I said, I I liked it. I I don't think it uh, deserves the reputation it's gotten. And even like those quotes, I think you know, kind of coming on the heels of all the bad reviews and being a, a box office dud. Like obviously they want to try to um, explain that away and kind of 
and say, well, you know, we we knew it was bad, but, you know, we had to do it and stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, but McLaughlin wasn't saying that. He was talking about seeing it at the premiere. Right. And I think, oh, well, wait, I didn't see this coming. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're just kind of making up excuses after the fact. Like, yeah. oh, you know, I thought it was going to be good, but then, you know, the final product didn't <laughs> end up being what we thought it was going to be. And... Is that damn editor's fault? <laughs> Those are the people that put it together. Of course. All right. Uh, all right. We'll get to the movie challenge section. The last film you're going to talk about is a film called Dogtooth that I signed to you through our movie challenge. And you're going to give a brief uh, review of what you thought of it. And then we'll kind of wrap up the show. And then you can stick around uh, if you want to hear spoilers for Dogtooth as we discuss it a little more in depth afterward yes dogtooth came out in 2009 it's directed by yorgos lanthimos stars christus sturgioglo i don't know these are all like foreign names so i don't know michelle valley i think that's how you say it uh angeliki papalia Christos Pasolos, Mary Sony, Anna Kalitsidou, I don't know. I probably mispronounced all of those. Uh, synopsis is, three teenagers live isolated without leaving their house because their overprotective parents say they can only leave when their dog tooth falls out. So what did you think of Dog Tooth? <laughs> I actually really liked it. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, there's not a lot of plot, but no, no, there's so much. It's and it's kind of slow paced, but like it's it's mesmerizing to try to figure out what's going on and why it's happening and like what are you guys doing? Like what what is the the reason behind all this and it's you know it's it's subtitled Mm -hmm. and and a lot of one of the things that i don't really like about subtitled movies is i always feel like there's something lost in translation like i feel like there's there's probably like bill murray (laughs) (laughs) but i feel like there's something there there's Always something like with inflection or like uh, slang and stuff like that that I don't I feel like I'm missing out on if it's not in my native language. And the very first scene in this movie is them. It's the three teenagers in the bathroom and they have a cassette player, uh, a audio cassette player, and it's vocabulary words. And the <laughs> subtitles are. They have the, you know, like three or four words. And like one of them is like C, S E A, and excursion. And I forget what the other one was. But then they define the words with something completely different. Like they, they say the word C is like a chair that you sit on in the living room. And then they give an example. It's like, don't just stand over there. Why don't you sit down on the C? over here or excursion excursion is uh, like a 
a uh, material you make floors out of. It's very tough, and 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 it's it's very confusing. And so, like right off the bat, I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this translation? This, <laughs> like, because you assume they're learning a foreign language, right? Because that's usually what those tapes are: is they have a foreign word and then they define it, and then. Mm-hmm. But that's not what they're doing. They're learning their language. And then from there, they're like, let's have a contest. Who can put their finger under the hot tap water longest before taking it out? I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't. I think I told you to not watch a trailer or even like look up a synopsis before watching this movie. Because it seems like. Like, the main plot of the movie is kind of a big spoiler, don't you think? A little bit. Don't you think you should maybe not know, like, anything about this movie going in? Because I just told you uh, it's three siblings that have overprotective parents. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we've talked about it on the show before. I can't remember if you, you might have reviewed it. I don't remember. Jason, when he was on the show, might have reviewed it. I can't remember. Yeah. But... So I kind of remember that synopsis, but uh, like even so, like yeah, they don't really get to that point until later in the movie. Um, yeah, it's very strange. Like I said, it's it's almost like you get mesmerized by these characters just <laughs> going about their daily their daily lives, and it's such an unusual life that they're living. And the the parents are giving them contests, and the winner gets stickers. And the one with the most stickers gets to decide what they do for the evening. And I guess for people that haven't seen it, we could say there's uh, there's scenes of sex in here. There's violence. So this isn't all a goody goody. Let's learn words and do good jobs and get stickers. That's right. The uh, <laughs> the father but, brings there's there's one outsider that gets to come to the house. Just to have sex with the son. So there's one <laughs> son and two daughters. And the sex and, and a lot of the shots that he uses throughout the movie are he just has a steady camera, like on a tripod, and the camera doesn't move. And they're mm-hmm. they're really long scenes without cuts. And the sex scenes are, are really graphic, but also very awkward. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. So, like, there's there's graphic nudity, and, like, they get into it. Like, they, they show, like, the whole, like, start to finish. <laughs> or not necessarily start to finish, but, like, in one shot without cutting away. Like, they show them getting into it and getting into position and getting going, and it's like... Like, taking off their clothes in silence and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, are you ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And so that's that's very awkward. Um, we'll talk about it more in the spoilers about kind of where the conflict comes into. But yeah, it's just the the, the strangeness of how they live their lives with the you know bringing in the stranger to have sex with the son and doing the contest, and then you know a, a plane will fly overhead, and they'll be like, "I hope it falls so I can go get it." Like, obviously these kids have never been outside of their house and their grounds. And, uh, yeah, it was, I got sucked into it. It was, 
something that you know I didn't know what to expect going into, and I think this is the third movie I've seen by by Yurgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is probably my favorite of the three so far. Mm-hmm. Um, versus the Lobster and the Favorite. The favorite I didn't like at all. I was the favorite super, is your least favorite. I was super bored with that. Like, that, what a terrible <laughs> name for that movie. <laughs> must have, must have been an ironic name. Uh, but yeah, I would recommend Dogtooth uh, to anybody who's looking for for something like that that's uh, gonna suck you in and and make you like it makes your it makes you think. Like it doesn't like give you all the answers, but it's not like mm-hmm. frustrating when you don't get answers to certain questions. You kind of have to figure it out yourself. Of like, how did they get here? How did they decide to do this? Why are they doing that? You know. So you're you're constantly involved uh, mentally. Um, it, it's the opposite of Johnny Be Good, where you actually have to think about what's going on. So I would give Dogtooth uh, an eventually eventually all right so now you have to challenge me to watch a movie for next time this is a challenge i know we had talked about last time possibly doing another a star is born but i'm gonna switch it up and i'm gonna give you 1939's of mice and men Starring, oh. starring Burgess Meredith and Lon Chaney Jr. Alrighty, I like the Sinise Malkovich one from '92. So <laughs> it's if also you, my favorite book. So if you're familiar with Looney Tunes, you might re- you might recognize <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr.'s voice in Of Mice and Men. <laughs> you might you might be able to recognize some parodies that uh, Bugs Bunny and company came through mm-hmm. with. As well as, uh, is that what they do on South Park? With the uh, the kid with Down syndrome who has a big uh, oafish friend who does his bidding? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I guess we'll kind of wrap up the show and then we'll talk more about Dogtooth with spoilers. And if you haven't seen Dogtooth, don't listen to the end because we don't want to spoil anything. We're, we've already said too much. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I, or do. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if spoilers would would make it any more or less uh, intriguing because, I don't know, it's just that type of movie where it's like no matter how much you, you know going in, like I don't think it's going to uh, be what you I expected it to be. I think some of the humor be. would be hurt. Maybe. I don't think it would be as funny if you, don't, if, if you know what's coming. But All right, listener beware. Uh, you can reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at uh, yahoo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brett at positivelywolf1. Uh, please subscribe, rate and review, download on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, many other podcast apps. And please check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. You can check so, out our... Yeah. You want to plug our merch too? Check out our sure. merch at teespring.com/stores/wtmwatchthismovie. Still available promo code canceled 
for ten percent off. That's canceled with two L's. Ten mm. percent off. Nice. All right, let's get into Dogtooth again. That cat scene is one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. It was so good, and then the explanation afterward. <laughs> so, did they? Do you think they actually had a brother? So, like, they kept throwing rocks and food over the fence at their their brother, and then they said the that, brother was killed by cats. That's one thing I'm still kind of confused about. I'm not sure if they had, like, two brothers, supposedly, like one that was killed by a cat and then one that's just stuck on the other side of the wall. Because it's like they're feeding them because they're throwing, like, a piece of cake over and, like, bread and stuff. Well, they're throwing that stuff over before the cat showed up. So, like, there was the one brother who was supposedly outside, and then the cat shows up, and they said, oh, my God, I killed your brother. And so they had the funeral for him, and that was kind of the end of the the brother outside the wall. I liked, uh, and then the the dad shows up with the fucking, rips all his clothes up and puts the paint on. (laughs) I fought it. I fought it. It was, it almost killed me. It's the most dangerous animal. (laughs) It's like that when he sees it's not even a full grown cat, it's a kitten. <laughs> and the look of fear on that kid's face because he's never seen a cat before in his right. life. And he has no concept of what a cat is. <laughs> he just immediately it was a garden shears, right? That yeah. he runs over there and just murders that cat viciously. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and I think that's kind of in the trailer. And, like, the girls are watching from the kitchen. They scream or whatever. That's why I was like, don't watch the trailer. Yeah. I, they I, show off that cat killing in the trailer, which is a real buzzkill. I still haven't seen the trailer. Ruins it. Maybe I'll check out the trailer now that I've watched the movie. Another scene that I I busted out laughing. Like, like I, I don't know if it's supposed to be a comedy. Maybe it's supposed to be a comedy. But, like, the scene that I I couldn't contain myself was he had the toy airplane and his sister threw it through the like the the uh the gate of the fence where the guy comes in with his car and stuff mm-hmm. and he says you know dad can you get it for me and he gets in the car he's like i don't know we'll see and he gets in the car and he drives about a quarter of the way out through the gate and he reaches down and he's like he just barely picks it up you know? <laughs> and then he backs out back into the driveway <laughs> like i couldn't stop laughing at that <laughs> and then they Kids you know just standing there like <laughs> patiently waiting like they're not they're not gonna go out there either <laughs> but yeah I, like i said i think i was just it was fascinating to watch these these characters act the way they are like such a unusual upbringing like yeah, putting the, yourself in their shoes like if you don't really have a concept of reality right you make your own reality all you know is what your parents have told you yeah um <laughs> yeah i was i was actually kind of surprised that they brought the the outsider in christina to mm-hmm. to join them given how protective they were and you know they put her put christina in a in a blindfold on the way there and on the way back and 
and then they they let her hang out with the the daughters she ends up starting she ends up starting the trade things for favors with the daughters and that can we take a video okay now i want to sit next to her (laughs) can i sit next to christina (laughs) yeah and then she gives her what a a headband she she gives her a headband that sparkles in the dark (laughs) and then uh she tries to trade and this is for cunnilingus (laughs) which which the 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 family has no concept of the the teenagers in the family have no concept of it's just like come lick my you know lick here for a while and i'll give you a headband and then <laughs> does she call it a pussy is that because somebody's like mom what's a pussy and she's like oh it's a bright light you know it's they turned off the pussy and the the room was very dark <laughs> yeah stuff like that <laughs> but uh, um i can't remember and then she tried to trade her hair gel, and that didn't go over. And she had some uh, video cassettes that she had rented, and she ended up <laughs> trading those. She's like, "I need these back in in a week." And so, she only she only gave her two videos, but she watched at least three movies. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, they're uh, trying to insinuate that this was an arrangement they had for some time. Possibly, she would come in with new videos every week. And then get ahead and drop off the videos and leave and come back next week with new videos. Yeah, because it was the older sister, and she started mimicking the movies. Like, she was mm-hmm. reenacting Rocky, and she reenacted Jaws. And Flashdance. And, yeah, Flashdance. She did the dance. <laughs> and then the one movie, because I think she's what she did four uh, movie characterizations, I guess. And I can't figure out the fourth one. It's I, when they're laying; she's laying in bed, right? Because uh, she had a su- dude, and she's she says something. It's like a little soliloquy or something. Yeah, it's something like if I see you in the street, bitch, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking take you out or something like that. I was like, what movie is this from? That's the I one that I didn't bugging know. me. I'm like, is that Rocky? I don't. Maybe that's Rocky. I don't know, but it might be something else. Maybe we could put it into Quo DB. But yeah. You mentioned that you kind of glossed over the fact that once they found out that Christina was trading tapes with the the oldest sister, the dad went over to Christina's apartment <laughs> and he just hit her over the head with a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> like that scene is like it's difficult to watch because it's pretty brutal, but at the same time it it's kind of funny too because he hits her in the head with a VCR. <laughs> It reminded me of watching a New Jack match in ECW. <laughs> so I think he's done a, a, that a few times. But it, and then he punished the uh, the daughter by taping one of the cassette tapes to his hand and just beating the shit over the over, beating the shit out of her over the head with it, which looked really realistic. I, I it looked like he was actually beating the shit out of her because uh, they didn't cut away. And he was just like whacking her, and the tape was coming apart, and yeah. But yeah, once Christina was out of the picture, he's just like, "We'll just have the eldest one, you know, take care of the son." So, I was wondering too, because like, at one point, the mom decides that she's pregnant, 
and she's like, I'm pregnant with twins, one boy and one girl. And then when they, they tell the, the existing kids, they're like, your mom's going to have two children and a dog soon. You know, because they had the dog <laughs> at the training school. And I'm like, so... So that got me thinking, like, are these their, are these actually their kids? Or did they, like, kidnap them? Or, like, are they even related to each other? Like, what is that actual relationship? And it kind of reminded yeah, me. I guess I didn't think about that. It kind of reminded me. Have you seen uh, Brigsby Bear? I don't think you've seen that, but. No. It's, uh, I forget what his name is. One of the guys who's on. SNL. I don't know if he still is, but the more recent season of SNL. But that, the kind of the beginning of that movie reminded me of of Dogtooth, because this this kid who's isolated to his his home by his parents for like his entire childhood, through his what would be his high school years, and he's basically brainwashed with this information that just the parents you know, want him to know. But not to spoil that movie, but I feel like I kinda have based on the discussion we just did. <laughs> but so that got me thinking, like, well, where are these babies like where are these kids coming from? Are they gonna actually be babies or are you just gonna go steal some kids or like what's the deal? So that was uh that was another thing that, that got me thinking um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else specific. Oh yeah, when he, when they're eating dinner and he's like, "Do you want to hear your grandfather sing?" and he goes and puts <laughs> on Frank Sinatra, <laughs> and Which, it's just about his family. <laughs> the horrible translation he does. Which I I think that scene probably works better watching the English version because you know what Frank Sinatra is singing. It's uh, it's "Fly Me to the Moon" is the song he's playing. "Fly Me to the Moon," and then yeah. the dad is translating the lyrics, you know, quote unquote translating, and he's like, "I love my mother, I love my father, I love my brothers and sisters, I love my house. <laughs> I'll never leave my house. My house is the greatest thing ever." <laughs> <laughs> and it's all it's all brainwashing, but uh, mom, what's a zombie? <laughs> a little yellow flower weed that grows in the grass. <laughs> Dandelion is a zombie, apparently. And then later he's mowing the lawn and he finds some zombies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about when he goes fishing? <laughs> <laughs> he only dumped two in there, right? Like, how is there three? I was confused by that. Yeah. Like, where did the third one come from? <laughs> There's always fish in there. But anyways, the oldest one, you know, based on her her video watching, kind of is emboldened to leave the flock, and she takes it upon herself to take a, a small dumbbell and knock her dog tooth out. Hence, that seems kind of hard to watch. Allowing her, yeah, it takes a few tries. She lost more than her dog tooth, though. Then she like she spit out about five or six, is what it seemed like. Yeah, I'm not sure. Then she locks her. I think it's just maybe chips, chips of other teeth. Maybe broken off. 
So she can leave the house now, but she can't drive until the tooth grows back. So, like, she's still taking the the knowledge, if you will, that the parents have taught her and combining it with, like, the movies where she sees people are, you know, out in the streets and it's okay. So she can't drive, so she hides in the trunk of the car. And they can't find her. And then she's there kind of overnight. And then the dad goes to pick up the dog. And they end with the uh, the still shot of the trunk closed. And you don't <laughs> you don't know what, what became of her. Did she get out? Did she die? She was bleeding pretty profusely when she got in there. Plus, who knows how much air is in that trunk. She might have suffocated. Or gotten carbon monoxide poisoning from being too close to the exhaust pipe. So. Yeah, I love that still shot of the of the trunk. So it's like, just beat inside <laughs> quietly. That's it's powerful, but also funny as hell. I think. Yeah, it's it's open ended. You know, I know a lot of people don't like the open ended, you know, endings, but I think in that case it works because it's like like everything else we've mentioned. Like they don't give you answers to everything, so it's kind of you trying to figure out for yourself like why everything has happened the way it has how much of it is real how much not necessarily how much of it is real but like the relationships like we mentioned like how much uh, uh accurate or uh how much of the relationship between uh the parents and the kids is you know legitimate versus like maybe he stole him. I don't know, but and who knows? Maybe she got away. Maybe she didn't. We'll never find out. Yeah, it's like the possibilities are are endless with like the goings on of that family. <laughs> Either any new word that comes up, they just make something up for it. Right. Although they kind of broke their ro- their own rules and uh, allowed the kids to go outside to search for the their sister. At night when they're all running around. Yeah, that reminds me, uh, the word pussy was because the parents were watching a porno tape and they left the case on top of the the TV. That's where they saw that. That's right. Which, uh, yeah, they they didn't hold back showing a close-up of that porno video either. The mom and dad, they kind of had awkward sex too. (laughs) Put their Walkmans on. (laughs) (laughs) it's just a very strange family and then the dad the dad works he works at a factory in the office so he must be like management or something yeah and there's no real explanation for why he is the way he is the mom has a hidden phone in her bedroom that she'll talk she'll call the dad at work and the, the kids are like, mom's talking to herself again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a strange, kind of a strange movie, but very intriguing, very fascinating characters. Yeah, I can't remember what I gave it, if I gave it a soonish or an ASAP. But yeah, I loved it. it it's my favorite of Yorgos's, uh filmography i'm interested in seeing uh 
What's the other one? The Killing of a Sacred Deer? Is yeah. Is that, that the other one that he did? I'm interested in seeing that, but I don't know if I've seen that available anywhere. Yeah, the, I have it, but you know, you're, you've cut yourself off from the world. We're so far away. No human contact. Rona's on the rise. I'm not playing games <laughs> with Rona. Are they still yeah. are they still running those commercials where they say don't joke about COVID or whatever? I can't remember. Or I mean, I haven't. I guess I don't. I don't know if I've even seen that one. But yeah, killing of a sacred deer is mm, probably about as bizarre as this. It the humor is dialed down. Okay. I didn't find it to be too humorous, but it is bizarre. It's like the whole movie, you know exactly what's going on, but you don't know why. <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> so like the lobster was bizarre, but like I feel like he didn't go as far as that uh, that um, idea could have gone. You know what I mean? Because he kind of... He kind of put out there things that they could have done in the movie, and then they kind of scaled it back and didn't go quite as far as they kind of set out that maybe they could, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure we. I'm not sure if you'd like Killing of a Sacred Deer or not. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, it's I, I find a. Uh, most of my enjoyment from his films comes from the comedy. Huh. Can it be but, worse? Can it be worse than the favorite? Well, I like the favorite, but I guess I found it. I found it to be, I guess, a little more humorous than um, "Killing of a Sacred Deer." Huh. But I mean, I might. I'd have to watch it again. I might like "Killing of a Sacred Deer" more than the favorite. I can't remember, but I just know I like Doc Tooth the most. Easily. All right. Well, right now I'm in the same boat. All right. Well, I think that'll do it. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right. Check you later. Bye. Wait, man. Why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man. You're off my case.